Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence and Mike Nicoletti. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. On oil and gas, uh, I have a little more, I think I'm going to take up a little more than, I, I try not to do more than 10 minutes. I think it may run to 12 minutes or more because there's some interesting macro factors in uh, what's happened in the last, since we were last together on the phone last Wednesday. One, of course, is uh, ahead of the inflation numbers, um, the uh, Jake Sullivan, who's the head of the Security Council and who's been in the news a lot recently because of Afghanistan, uh, issued a statement uh, to the OPEC plus countries saying that if they produce more oil, they would help on the global recovery. Um, this is just ahead of the inflation that number of, uh, announcement for July, which was about the same as June, up about 5% year over year. And while the administration and the uh, Federal Reserve Speaks of these things as being transitory. Obviously, they're they're a bit spooked by them. Brian Deese, I think that's his first name. Later that morning, made a similar statement to refiners in the U.S. that you know complaining about gasoline prices. As a practical matter, the crack spread, which is the difference between gasoline and diesel and crude, has been pretty pretty narrow. So. Uh, the refiners, Valero and Marathon and Integrateds and whatnot, have not really been coining money as refineries. Um, so it's clearly the administration is a bit spooked by this. Um, I think the reason their concern is that the 22 election, uh, they definitely want to hold the House which is only a three or four vote uh, uh, majority. Uh, and they want to try to pick up seats in the Senate. And uh, while it's perfectly reasonable to say it's only August of 21 and the election isn't until November 22, but clearly this is motivating them. Um, the uh, The other thing I think that's motivating them is that they are concerned about the recent statistics on the Delta virus. Um, there was an article in the Financial Times this morning about Israel, and they are a laboratory for, for vaccines. There are 8 million people there. They're 80% inoculated, and they're running out of ICU beds uh, in uh in the uh, in the country, even though they're 80 uh, percent vaccinated, the only vaccine that's been used in Israel is the is the uh, Pfizer uh, vaccine. Um, so, uh, as it affects the price of oil, um, it's certainly become an issue with these key figures and the uh, administration complaining. Um, and, uh, it, 
the trend in the price of oil is down. And I think the main reason is not the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. The main reason is the Delta virus. And I think what the oil market is focused on, especially, is China, because the Chinese have been using their own vaccine. No one really knows what percentage of the population has received the vaccine, but they pretty clearly are going into kind of a rolling lockout to try to uh, contain the spread of the latest variant. And that will not be good for oil product demand. And uh, so uh, that's the situation in the oil market. The gas market has calmed down a bit. Uh, I think it's just a matter of the weather, especially in the southwest and the southeast where there are large populations, uh, population concentration being cooler, not being quite so hot. Uh, and uh, But the gas market has really improved enormously. Uh, you're, you, you're, uh, you have a lot of backwardation, but, uh, but the fact that it starts to trade below the $4 level on the near month uh, doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't mean that the gas market's greatly improved. LNG, which is the incremental demand, you know, is we produce about 90 bees a day, and we use about 90 bees a day of gas. Uh, we import about four and a half to five bees from Canada, and we export about five and a half or six bees to Mexico. So basically, the the usage here, I mean, the demand here is our production of our demand of 90 bees. LNG export is around 10 and a half to 11. The LNG export price has been just sensational. Uh, I mean, for a, a summer price, it's $17. I repeat it a lot, but remember in July of 2020, the, uh, the LNG price got as low as $4. What happened then is rather than Capacity, which is around 11 bees a day, uh, the amount of uh, product, uh, amount of LNG being uh, <laughs> processed and exported, get down to like three and a half or four. If you take five or six bees of demand away from the U.S. gas market, I mean that's the difference. I mean it gets priced on the margin. That's the difference between two dollars and change and you know three ninety. So, uh, but fortunately, the LNG market is very strong. Um, the other growth part of the, or the other, uh, uh, variable part of natural gas demand is power demand. And of course, power demand's affected by, uh, by the weather. Uh, and, uh, so LNG look, I mean, natural gas looks okay. LNG looks great. Oil's a bit weak, uh, both Brent and WTI and oil continues to be in backwardation. I like to switch now before we, go over to Mike, who's got some really interesting follow-up for IPO. I'd like to switch to the impact of the walkover uh, by the uh, Taliban in Afghanistan on the oil market over the next half decade or so. Um, The largest oil producer in the world and the one with extra capacity and the one who is Spending to increase capacity is Saudi Arabia. 
Saudi Arabia is governed by the royal family in partnership with the uh, Wahhabi clergy. Uh, the king and his son, the crown prince, have been working to try to make Saudi Arabia more secular, to try to have Saudi Arabia be more like uh, Dubai or, uh, or Abu Dhabi or Qatar, uh, to get more Saudis used to working, uh, to uh, have the Wahhabi clergy be less influential. Uh, we're coming up to the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Remember, of the 19 um, uh, terrorists, uh, 15 of them were Saudi citizens. Um, the mastermind was Osama bin Laden. Uh, the bin Laden family is not part of the royal family in Saudi Arabia, but they're part and maybe one of the most prominent of the non-royal kind of commercial families in Saudi Arabia. Um, bin Laden was operating uh, as a as a refugee from uh, from from the U.S. and other terrorist targets in Afghanistan. He was being uh, uh, you know sheltered or or uh, he hosted by the Taliban. Um, the problem with the Taliban's uh, reemergence in in Afghanistan and uh, and just you know doing it in a matter of a couple of weeks is this will have an impact on young Saudis. On the one hand, you have the crown prince who is not guiltless, uh, you know, given given the fact he sent people out to assassinate uh, Khashoggi because he didn't like columns Khashoggi was writing in the Washington Post. Uh, so he's not, uh, you know, an angel, but he is a force for trying to have Saudi Arabia be more secular. And the young Saudis, uh, no matter how well educated or no matter how much they want to be more modern looking, they are, they will have been rooting for the Taliban, unfortunately. So this is not necessarily a positive development in uh, you know, in trying to get the largest oil producer, the largest holder of oil reserves uh, to be more secular. Uh, whether it'll have an impact uh, next month, next year, year after, five years from now, who knows? But it's not necessarily a positive development in terms of having a, uh, a well-functioning uh, oil market. Um, does that mean it's a time to hold oil equities? No. Positive, but I don't. I don't think it, it it's that uh, much of a positive. Remember, everyone, including Saudi Aramco and the big Russian companies, uh, Rosneft and Lukoil, which account for more than half of Russia's production. The big three producers are Saudi Arabia, Russia, and the United States, given shale. Um, the uh, are all under capital constraint. I mean, the Rosneft and Lukoil are under capital constraint because they have no access to Western banks or Western financing. Saudi Arabia is under capital constraint because it is now public and it pays a $75 billion a year dividend, uh, 95% to the Saudi state. Uh, and uh, so the supply of oil will be 
less than it otherwise would be because of this capital constraint. Then it comes down to the demand, and the demand, as as uh, there are more battery cars and battery trucks, will start to flatten out. There is no question that peak oil demand is either happening or about to happen. Um, what would really screw things up would be about a very high oil prices. Uh, it seems as though about of very high oil prices, you know, like $100, $120, would only happen as a result of some uh, macro political development. And a macro political development that you could foresee, I mean, that would make that much of a difference, almost always comes back to the uh, the government of uh, and and the governing of Saudi Arabia, and to have all those young Saudis kind of rebel in the Taliban's success in Afghanistan is not not a positive not a positive thing. And with that, we'll move out of the macro and uh, take advantage of. The work Mike's been doing on, uh, on companies. Now, remember, we're, we, we want to go looking in IPOs, recent IPOs, uh, for companies that, uh, as I said last week, are well enough financed, have enough current cash flow, so they don't have to go public. They're going public mostly because the owners uh, feel, I mean, a company like that can always sell, and a lot of them do. But if the owners believe that they can make more money as owners, as managers, by going public and developing as a public company, um, uh, that those are the kinds of companies we want. I mean, when Facebook was coming public, could they have sold for quite a lot of money? But are they in a public market 10 years later selling for you know 10 or 15 times more than they could have sold before they went public? Absolutely. And the same is true of all the, all the high, big tech companies, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, Google. So what we want to do is do our best to try to discover those companies and analyze them and, uh, and uh, you know, and make them investment candidates. And with that, we'll turn it over to Mike. All right. Thank, thanks, Mike. Um, I'll, I'll start by going over, and for those of you to get my, my weekly email, I kind of talked about this last week. Um, so I'll start by going over what we've seen as far as IPOs in the last year. And then I picked two that we can dig into a little bit more and, um, barring other, other things that come up, I think we can kind of continue this trend and use it as an opportunity to, uh, to dig deeper on a couple of companies and really understand what's going on underneath. Um, so, so last week we talked a bit about you know, the power compounding and how companies like Fastenal and Google and NVIDIA and Apple have done over a very long time been able to compound money at a high rate. It's very hard to do, but there are some like similarities among those companies. Um, generally, it means they have some sort of strategic advantage um, or some sort of secular trend that's playing out and they're central to. Um, there, there's a number of different ways to look at companies and find them. Um, so I think it's, 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 uh, it's not very easy to say there's a thick set of rules. I think that for each, each company is going to be very different. Um, so looking at the last 12 months, there were 914 IPOs, 
um, on the major U.S. exchanges. I skipped looking at the smaller exchanges. Um, of those 914, 450 of them were shell companies. So we've all seen in the news the the many uh, special purpose acquisition companies. That's those are them. Um, there's been a very large amount of that activity. Many of them are still active. Many of them have have made their first acquisitions, um, and we're going to start seeing. Um, I, I think we'll, what we'll end up seeing is maybe some opportunities because some of these got hyped a lot and the stocks got pumped up after the acquisition um, the, the, for the SPAC actually happened. And, uh, and some of that has tapered off. Some of them have blown somewhat uh, imploded, if you will. Uh, but, but I think there's going to be a lot of interesting digging work that we can do to uncover what's going on. Um, second to the shell companies with biotech, and after that is software. Um, so biotech were 117, software between applications and infrastructure were uh, a little over 70. So there's, there is um, more, more than enough just in IPO to keep one busy um, in reading, reading the 10Ks and the prospectuses. Um, so let's pause here. Um, we have talked about a number of companies that have IPO'd this year. Um, I, I'll cover one of the ones we've mentioned before, um, that's Roblox, and one we haven't mentioned before, that's Airbnb. Um, let's, let's start with Airbnb. So, when Mike started looking at Airbnb, we talked earlier, he was he was prepared to not be very impressed, uh, and uh, and then of course the company had a terrible 2020 because there was no traveling. But with that as an introduction, uh, don't we, we've got to do some more work on it. I haven't even looked at a 10Q, but uh, this is really an interesting business. And with that, Michael, lead you through uh, how much better it looks in 21 versus 20. Yeah, it, and that is the, the reason I kind of turned my nose off at it when I first, you know, read about the IPO is how much cash they were burning. Um, they they were um, so, so obviously all hospitality companies had a horrible 2020, and Airbnb was one of them. So, yeah, in some sense, you got to scratch your head and say, why did they IPO this year? Nonetheless, they're they're free cash flow as a percent of revenue in 2020 was negative 20%. So they're consuming huge amounts of cash. Um, but I've now dug a little deeper and found more, more interesting bits of information. So for those of you that know, don't know, Airbnb is a way that you can rent a place to stay from an individual person. So essentially what they're doing is democratizing this uh, and, and creating better utilization of physical um, living spaces, if you will. So if I own a property, I could rent out a room in my house or I could rent out my house entirely to a prospective renter. And that can be for a day or a week or a month or longer. Um, now, personally, I've used it quite a bit. I'm very familiar with it. I think it's a great business model. I think it's becoming, you know, it's anytime that a business's name becomes synonymous with what the product is, um, that's a good sign that there's something, there's some there there. Um, 
the they are the largest they call it an alternative accommodation travel agency essentially what they do is they match hosts hosts are people that own the properties with guests guests are the people that want to stay in the properties um in 2020 they had 5.6 million active accommodation listings um so start thinking through your head there's 5.6 million accommodation listings even if that were just hotel rooms that would make this the largest hotel company in the world um their listings are in 220 different countries 100,000 different cities um, and interestingly, no one city accounts for more than 1.1% of their revenues, which I thought was really uh, interesting because one of the things that I initially thought of as a potential um, problem with their business model is that in my neighborhood, for example, there's a lot of people that are up in arms about Airbnbs. They don't want them in that neighborhood. Uh, so people have pushed to try to block them. So there's some there's some legislative type stuff that they deal with in every city, and it's all unique and it's all different. And companies have to spend a decent amount of money in order to do, to manage that. Um, the flip side is, if they get turned off in one city, the impact is relatively minimal from their bottom line perspective. Um, like I mentioned before, 2020 was a really difficult year for the company. Um, they actually. <coughs> reduced their headcount by 25%. They cut 1,800 jobs. Um, and they committed $250 million to, uh, to give hosts back some of the money that they lost due to what they call it extenuated circumstances um, due to COVID. So during that like March through May period, a lot of cancellations obviously happened and they were out of the host control. So they spent heavily in order to shore up the um, the I mean I think I think it was the integrity of the company from the perspective of the host. So they were trying to take care of their host because that's the fundamental uh, part of their business. So uh, long story short, 2020 was a really bad year. But if we look back at 2018, really 2017, 18, and 19, you see a different story. Um, free cash flow as a percent of revenue in 2018 was 14 percent. Um, 2019, they spent a lot of money on scaling, the, a lot more SG&A spend, and free cash flows percent of revenue was only 2%. Uh, like I said, in 2020, it was negative 20%. Um, looking at their first couple quarters of this year and kind of uh, extrapolating that out for 2021, they could have a free cash flow as a, again, this is Based on some calculations, this is not what the company is saying. The free cash flow as a percentage of revenue could be north of 40% this year, which in which case would give them a free cash yield of almost 3%. So that kind of tells me that relative to the other companies, um, if we just consider it like other tech companies that we're seeing around a 3% free cash yield, maybe the pricing isn't that far off of um, reasonable. Um, and and I'll pause there because I'm sure Hunt has some more questions to dig to be Well, Airbnb. I've yet to even look at a 10Q, but what I suspect is happening here is this is uh, once you have your infrastructure in and whatnot, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of a capital light business. So a lot of your cash flows going to turn into free cash flow. Uh, and, uh, I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with a capitalized business as long as you have some advantage to hold off competition. And Airbnb is so ubiquitous. I mean, would you would you rather try to copy Airbnb or would you rather try to copy you know uh, the ride hailing companies? I mean, there there's not only only Uber, there's Lyft. I I don't know whether there's a number two to Airbnb. Uh, so you know there there is there is the makings for a you know a really attractive business where almost all the cash flow you you earn will be free cash flow but is that overstating this case do you think mike or no i mean i think i think that is so the the question that we want to ask ourselves is i think this is a warren Buffett Buffett statement he started his career by investing in uh, mediocre businesses at excellent prices. But later on, really due to Charlie Munger, he switched his perspective to buying great companies at good prices. So the question is, is this a great company? And, you know, I don't want to go that far and say that yet, but I do think that they have something that other companies don't. And what they've done different than Uber and Lyft, I think they've treated their hosts better that their hosts really want to be on that platform. And the, the number two platform is called VRBO, um, which is uh, infinitesimally smaller by size. So they, they've got a clear lead. And once you get that much size, especially globally, because if I go to France, I can pull up Airbnb and get tons of listings on Airbnb. Um, an upstart has a big uphill slog in order to get there. And what can they provide that's new that Airbnb hasn't already done? The truth is not much. So I, I think they're in a, they, they've done a very good job building um, a network effects that I think will last for a very long time. That's great. Let's, uh, let's quickly cover roadblocks. Um, when I looked at roadblocks, I was puzzled by you know, big increase in deferred revenue. And I think Mike has come up with an explanation for that. And I think what that means is obviously we're going to spend more time on Airbnb and encourage everyone on the phone to do the same, but we're probably also going to spend more time on Roblox. And why don't you just explain the deferred revenue uh, uh, accounting, uh, which may in effect be not as you know, I, I was kind of spooked by it, but I, I think I was spooked too quickly. But over to you, Mike. Yeah, so so typically deferred revenue in a software-as-a-services business is when I pay the company uh, $120 for a $10 a month service, and I pay it all up front. So they technically still have to earn back that $10 every month, and due to accrual accounting rules, that doesn't trickle that way. So when we saw this on Roblox, we were scratching our heads saying, what in the world does Roblox do? And for those that don't remember, Roblox is a metaverse. It's kind of a video game slash digital experience thing. And we can get into the depths of that uh, later. But the point is, is that you can interact and purchase items and uh, you create an avatar. And kind of the simplest, simplest explanations that I can use here is you can purchase a costume for your avatar. So think of your avatar as a Lego and your Lego character needs an outfit so that it can look cool, I guess, in this digital world. So uh, let's say I spend um, 
um, I'm going to pick $23 for a, uh, for a, a costume for my avatar. Um, the way that Roblox accounts for this is they, they, they spread it out over time, over a period of 23 months. Um, the reason they do that is, uh, again, I, I'm not enough of a tax expert to tell you why they can't recognize that right away, but presumably there's a life to that digital asset and they estimate that life at 23 months. Therefore, a $23 product purchased in this digital world will essentially amortize over a period of 23 months. Yep. And with that, uh, we're, we're, we're pretty much used up our 30 minutes. Uh, everyone stay healthy and stay safe. Uh, the, uh, and, and follow, follow Mike's lead. Spend more time on a sailboat. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in to us again next week as we'll be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.